the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Some time ago, the settings in our family van got changed. I'm not sure if it was me or one of my two little co-pilots who like to push the buttons after we park. <laughs> but however it happened, every time we hop in the van and turn it over, it beeps at us. And with the beep comes a little icon of a wrench with the word service and then the mileage under it. It used to annoy me, but I've come to appreciate it because I can still recount the times I would hop into the car and wonder on a random day, wonder when we need to take the car in for maintenance. And I'd look at that little sticker in the upper right-hand corner, and I'd sometimes sigh relief that we were 100 or maybe even 1,000 miles away from service. And other times I'd draw in a little bit of a breath as I'd realize we were 100 or 1,000 miles over service. <laughs> in many ways, when we go through the Christian life, it's easy to miss the maintenance required, the service required, and our soul's health to not get to those places. Gee, I wonder where I am with the Lord, and I wonder how things are going. Sometimes we know it within us. Um, but this morning, I'd like to suggest that in this passage on the transfiguration, Jesus gives us two lessons for how we maintain our soul's health continually so we don't have those moments where we wake up and realize how distant we were or we're wondering where we are, but we're tending to that in real time. We're not looking for that internal odometer um, to know when service is required. If we're honest, we know that needs to be daily. And so let's turn to this passage from Matthew 17 to find two maintenance items this morning as well as what they produce in us as we do so. So follow along in your Bible if you've got it. You can follow along on the screens if you like. As we open to this, um, let's take note of where we are in Matthew's Gospel. If we were to flip back, if you had your Bible, even just a chapter, a lot has happened. Jesus heals the daughter of the Syrophoenician woman, the Canaanite woman, uh, a little over a chapter prior fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy to uh, be a light to the Gentiles as Jesus reaches her. Following that is the feeding of the 4,000 in Matthew's gospel. Following that um, comes this banter with the scribes and the Pharisees, which leads to Jesus foretelling his death and resurrection, which in the midst of that comes Peter's confession of Jesus as Lord. And then immediately before this moment, um, Jesus reminds them that they must likewise take up their cross daily and follow him. A lot has transpired. And so here we catch this brief reprieve, if you will, um, where in the midst of all of that, Jesus takes the, the kind of the inner band, the three, Peter, James, and John, up on this high mountain. And as he does so, um, we see the reason, at least initially, why all of these events of Jesus have taken place. Um, we see revealed that Jesus is the Son of God, and there's three uh, ways that we see that in this passage, the first of which is in the physical transformation temporarily of Jesus' countenance. He's no longer seen as just some great moral teacher or prophet, um, but there's this glimpse of who he is as the Son of God. We see in the appearance of Moses and Elijah with Jesus symbolically in the middle, the fulfillment of what Jesus himself says 
earlier in Matthew's gospel and the Sermon on the Mount that he's come to fulfill the law, Moses and the prophet Elijah, um, which is summed up in he himself as that messianic figure. And then lastly, penultimately, and most visibly, we see that the, the voice from heaven, from God himself, says, this is my son, in case you missed the other two, um, with whom I'm well pleased. Um, it doesn't get any clearer than that. Um, but there's more always than meets the eye with Jesus. Yes, this passage points to the fact that Jesus is the son of God, and the reason for which all of these things that have happened take place are because of that. Everywhere Jesus goes, the kingdom of God breaks in because of who he is. Um, it reorders creation with the loaves and the fishes. It reorders philosophies and understandings and the fulfillment of the law and butts up against the law and the prophets as the scribes see it. Every life he encounters when the kingdom of God breaks in brings healing and forgiveness and restoration in some form or fashion. So we see the reason for all these things in this moment. But as always is the case with Jesus. There's more than just what's lying on the most visible realm, but there's always something deeper. He could have, at any point, made these statements. He could have been transformed on the road from Galilee to Jerusalem. But um, as always, Jesus is modeling something for them and for us in doing so. Um, so we see in verse 1, of course, that he takes them up, literally out and away, from all of these people and things, up on a mountain by himself with them, and there he's transformed before them, and his face shone like the sun before them. Um, everything points to the fact that this is for their benefit and for ours. And not just to point out his identity, of course, but there is something much deeper there um, that Jesus wants us to see. Jesus is modeling to them what he's done. So many times, rising early to go steal away to be in prayer with God the Father, or late at night um, to be with him before jumping in to the next thing. In many ways, what Jesus models for them, and perhaps just a, a first stop for us, is that he steps away with them. And there he's transfigured, but um, more importantly, um, they are transformed as well. In Christianity, stepping away is called solitude. Um, it's a time in which we're stepping out of the midst of things with an intentional purpose. Um, and solitude is needed. Um, it's, it's fitting to, to think about these things on this Sunday because we do have seasons like Lent that call us away to times of solitude. Um, and, and we look at those things. In fact, maybe your homework between now and Wednesday, um, a lot of times in Lent we're called to give up something. Culturally, people go, even it's interesting to me, um, you can ask folks, they, they understand Lent, whether they're Christian or not, maybe it's just North Texas, and they'll tell you, oh, I'm giving up this or that, which is great, but often they miss the point, which is you're giving up something so that you can be filled with something else. And so we create enough space so that we can be filled with these times of solitude with the Lord. So whatever that is in your routine, you can think about that over the next 40 days. Um, I challenge you, don't be overzealous. Um, sometimes we do that, and in week two, we totally peter out, because it's like, you know, I meant to give up caffeine for 40 days, and that was not a wise idea. Um, or maybe we think, you know, I'm going to fast throughout the week, on, on, every day at lunchtime, and, and you get through one week, and you're like, this is really hard. So, so start somewhere, 
Don't make it so achievable that you overdo it, and then you just give up, and then you miss the point. So start somewhere small. Maybe you have a favorite uh, series or a habit. You kick the recliner back at the end of the day, and you watch something. Maybe decide, you know, on Wednesdays and Fridays, I won't do that. I'll carve out that time. I just picked up an hour where I can be in times of solitude with the Lord, or, or lunch. We have to create those pockets. We have to give up something to take on something, and that's what we're talking about here. And solitude really is needed. In fact, um, one of the, the best uh, lines about solitude that one Christian author put, which I think is so true, um, she said, solitude is the foundational discipline of the spiritual life. Solitude is the foundational discipline of the spiritual life. In it, we set aside time to give God our full and undivided attention. In solitude, we withdraw from our lives and the company of others to pull back from many distractions in order to give God complete access to our souls. We pull back to give God complete access to our souls. That is what we're talking about. Seasons like Lent afford us that, but we can even do it daily. Even at lunch or at the end of the day, um, we can kind of have our own little mountaintop balcony experience. We look back on the day or, or the events or the interactions. What drew me closer to the love of Jesus? What drew me farther away? And then what do I do with that? Maybe the things that I did and said either drew me farther or closer, or maybe the things I didn't do did that. And so how then can we work those things in? It's in the times of solitude that we give God complete access to our souls. Now, often we think time is our greatest commodity, and in many ways it is, but um, not to scare you off, finding the time is often harder than the next step. If we find it back in verse 4, we'll turn there. In verse 4, this is perhaps the, verse 4 specifically, is perhaps the most awkwardly translated moment of the awkwardest moment in Scripture, I'd contend. Uh, we read it, and we say, well, you know, as Peter, James, and John are there, as Moses and Elijah appear alongside Jesus, verse 4 in most uh, Bibles is translated, Lord, it's good that we are here. We hear that, and usually we think that means it's, it's a moment of gratitude. Jesus, thanks for letting us see this. We're glad that we can be a part of this. Sadly, it's a lot more awkward than that. Um, more, more realistically, it's Peter saying, Lord, it's a good thing we're here so that we can do the things that need to be done. And that is build tents and tend to this and do all these things and, and help you out. I'm glad you brought us along, Jesus, so we can take care of things for you while you're doing your thing with Moses and Elijah. I mean, um, I love Matthew's warts and all thing because if you read it, verse 5 always makes me chuckle. And while he's still speaking... Peter is babbling on in the presence of Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and a light has to overshadow them. And God the Father, this is for everyone's benefit, says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Oh, by the way, listen to him. <laughs> it's like with little kids, you learn pretty quickly. Catch a bubble, Peter. Quit talking, Peter. Be silent, Peter. And I love that. Um, I love the warts and all that, that the gospel writers just put themselves up for us because I can't count the number of times that I will babble on in prayer, you know, Lord, we need to do this and that and this and that, and I need your help to help me figure out how to do this, as though I'm the only one that could do that. The creator of the universe needs me to achieve anything at all. 
But we get into that mode just as Peter does. And what Jesus tells us is, look, the best thing you need to do is just to be with me and to be silent. We don't like silence. Pregnant pauses, what, 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 you know, we don't know what to do with that in and of itself. But I think that's what we're called to is times of solitude and times of silence. And Lent really gives us space to do this, but we need to find times in the course of our day. We need times to be present with Jesus towards the end of actually listening to what he has to say and not jumping in with all the things that we need to bring before him. And it's hard. It's hard. Um, silence, we think, is, is a cessation of talking, and it does include that. But if you've ever truly tried to be silent, it, it also means we have to quiet our inner heart long enough to be still. Um, we can not be silent even when we're not talking, scrolling through this or that. Um, you know, we can get derailed by, by the things that pop up and distract our attention. Um, we can get derailed in the things that, that pop into our minds. And we jump in with all these things um, that we think are needful. It's, it's difficult. We can even not be silent when we go to Scripture. I read Scripture needing an application, needing some clarity, needing to get through this chapter to tick my box on my Bible reading plan to get the next thing. Um, we can miss that sometimes it's in the silence, not always, but most often that God speaks. And if we're silent long enough and we, we actually ask Him to speak, He'll do it. Imagine that. Um, so when we find those times of silence and solitude, even if it's just five minutes or even five seconds in the midst of our prayer time with the Lord, and we just have that, that like our psalm says, like Samuel, Lord, I'm here. Um, tell me what you have to say. And then we sit long enough. Um, he will. He will speak. But we have to cultivate an ear to listen to him. Same in Scripture. Lord, what, what do you want me to hear um, before I jump in with, with all these other things? Sometimes something as simple as a conjunction can trip you up um, in Scripture, and, and that's what it is. That was what it was for many people with the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us as we have been forgiven. As, wow. So that means that if I ask for forgiveness and I withhold forgiveness, am I forgiven? Sometimes those little conjunctions are just what catch our phrase, but sometimes we have to slow down enough to listen. Um, another Christian author put it this way, silence helps us cease striving. Silence helps us cease striving so we can rest in God. I love that. It brings calm to the inner chaos that we might be feeling. Silence creates space for us to deal with our inner dynamics and listen to God, which is often what's needed most. And it's from those times of silence and solitude that God often is working in us something for what's next. Um, and that's where this passage leaves off. Um, after, finally, Peter catches a bubble and he's on his face in fear and awe before the Lord, as are the rest of the apostles, um, we read in verse 7, Jesus then comes and physically touches them. They look up and see Jesus only. That's a whole Christological statement in and of itself. And then they lift up their eyes, and they go down the mountain. Now, if you had your Bible, where did they go down the mountain to? Immediately, there's this huge tumult with the, the child, this demon-possessed. The disciples can't deal with it. I mean, they're running right headlong into the fray. And, oh, by the way, Jesus says, don't tell anyone about this until I'm risen from the dead. So it's in the times of silence and solitude, more often than not, that God gives us sustenance 
for the journey. We need those times uh, to check in daily and certainly in, in greater seasons as we'll be in the days to come to do just that because that's where God puts those deposits in our hearts to sustain us for mission and ministry in our own lives. And sometimes he, he gives us the deposits of things that we don't yet see the fruition of or even the timing of. I mean, for us, we see Peter and James and John are told, you know, don't tell anyone about this until I've risen from the dead. That seems very specific, but remember, that didn't really land with them yet. They don't really understand what Jesus is talking about being risen from the dead, but they will, and then that comes to mind. Um, little side note, more often than not, sometimes God gives us something, but we have to understand the timing of it, right? God creates space and time, but he's not beholden to it. So he, past, present, and future are the same to him. They're not to us. And so when he gives us these things in times of silence and solitude, sometimes we have to then discern what, what does that mean and when so that we're not rushing headlong into things that the timing may not yet be right. So this morning, we have this wonderful uh, reminder towards this end, and, and I encourage you in the days to come um, to find ways, especially in Lent, to practice silence and solitude. Um, over the next 40 days, that really will um, build in a discipline that will sustain you um, in your own Christian life, not just in the 40 days of Lent, but hopefully when you take back in wine or coffee or lunch or whatever you gave up, the, the practice remains because we go value it. That's the goal. Lent gives us the space to put those practices in that hopefully remain with us on the other side thereof. So that as we find those times with the Lord, we are sustained by Him and for Him to do the things that He's called us to do. So as we're reminded of the transfiguration and the transformation of Jesus, be reminded that in the times of solitude and silence, God is often transforming you, transforming me to be more as He is so that we might reflect him to the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.